Hello and welcome to the Court of Allies podcast, a group of friends who talk about their hopes and dreams. My dream is to go back in time and stop DC from giving Bendis as much power as they did. I'm Joe, and I'm here with Muse. Hello! And V. Hi! We're a comic podcast that uploads weekly. You can check the show notes for which comics we'll be covering this week and their timestamps so that you can skip over those titles if it's something you haven't read or just aren't interested in reading. This is our first episode, and we just want to share a little bit about ourselves before we get into the comics. For starters, I'm a DC fan, more specifically of Superman, except for the current run, but that's beside the point. I really just started reading the current comics about a year ago, and I only started reading Marvel titles currently at the start of the New World of X titles. I had a decent comic box collection throughout my life, and then I literally quadrupled that within the span of a year. I have a problem, which is that I read way too much and I give way too much money to it. Anyways... My favorite writer is Dan Jurgens, and my favorite artist is Francis Manipal. I'm Muse, and I've really been interested in superheroes since I was a child watching, growing up on the Justice League, Batman cartoons on WB every morning, anime, what have you, but I didn't really get into reading comics until I got into college and had my own money. Thanks to DC Rebirth back in about 2016, I was able to jump in a lot with that. My favorite character's always kind of been the third Robin, Tim Drake. He He's my boy. We're, we're not, we're not going to talk about the bastardization that Bendis did to my boy, but that is besides the point once again. He actually makes the majority of my collection, and it's steadily growing larger thanks to a lot of the YA graphic novels DC has been putting out and indie series. Though I've kind of jumped ship from DC to Marvel most recently because of them letting me down. And my favorite writers are Tom Taylor and James Tennyon and Patrick Gleason and Marcus Toe being my favorite artist. Sorry, I couldn't decide. I just like many <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I just went with my top one. I, I have a whole bunch of more, especially like David Marquez now. There's so many. Hi, I'm V. I've been reading comics since I was very tiny, um, but I actually only owned like one Daredevil comic for most of my life. Um, my librarian was super into Fantastic Four, so she got me hooked on that. Uh, my neighbor was obsessed with Batman, and uh, I think that's the one that most influenced me. And I've always loved, you know, Thieves with a Heart of Gold, and so Black Cat, Catwoman, those are my girls. If you have any questions about them, I'm your person to ask. I read a lot of DC, but I tend to stay in Gotham. Um, I really love indies, though, and I am obsessed with Colin Bunn right now. Although, um, as for artists, I just, I have so many, and I follow artists from book to book instead of writers, usually. So I'm not going to shout out anybody, but I have a ton, and you'll probably hear a lot about the art going forward. (laughs) V is our art guru. Pretty much. And with those introductions out of the way, on to the comics. So in part one, we're going to be really covering titles in what we call our long box. For DC Comics, we follow the trinity of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and the Justice League title run, and usually any other current event-related titles. For Marvel, we let Muse decide which stories are an important read since V and I are mainly DC readers, and Muse is really the go-to when it comes to the Marvel stuff. So, in terms of comics, V, why don't you just start us off? All right. So today, we're talking about Detective Comics Annual Number 3, written by Peter J. Tomasi, and the artists on this one are Sumit Kumar and Eduardo Riso. So, basically, we all know the big event in DC 
Alfred died at the hands of Tom Keen. Yes, he's a <laughs> hands of Tom Keen. <laughs> <laughs> he killed him. He killed my boy. He faked us out without Batcat wedding. He slandered the good name of Catwoman and made Batman a depression quest. And I'm just, ugh, he did other things. We're not talking about Tom Keen because he is gone. This is, it's Tomasi now. Stop, stop making me think bad thoughts. All right, moving back. Okay, so Alfred is dead. So every Batman writer and his mom has to talk about it. How is Batman feeling? How's he handling it? Is he being a big boy? Is he being a little boy? Is he regressing? Is he coping? Is he shutting it down? <laughs> What's Batman doing? How many times a day does he cry? So Tomasi already answered this question before with he still has to feed his dogs. He's not happy. He visits his grave all the time, but he's coping. So this one opens with Alfred. It's back in the day when he was an MI6 agent. He's dealing with the KGB. It introduces us to the character of Marigold, who was um, a partner of Alfred's. And then we cut back to Gotham City with Batman saving a family from an elevator. Um, It's a mother and her son. The boy is in a wheelchair and he saves them. He puts them on the ground. And the boy's like, says something like, you're my hero, Batman. And Batman goes, no, you're the real hero of it. Like, Batman doesn't talk like that. Tomasi, he got Superman on the brain. That's so weird. (laughs) Anyways, Batman goes home. And just like in that black label, what was called Batman Damned, where we saw the Batwing. Yeah, huh? He's just stripping He's throwing his clothes all over like a slug trail, like he's five. (laughs) I almost wanted to see him like taking off his pants as he's walking. So he's kind of like shuffling like little kids do. And they're like, can't be bothered. Help me out of my pants, Alfred. But so he's just like leaving a trail of clothes. So you can see his house is a mess because Alfred does all the housework. He goes to the kitchen. He opens the fridge. There is a half-eaten apple and a note from Damien that says... Father, you're out of food. And you're like, aw. Then you remember that Tomasi wrote Super Sounds, and you're happy for a moment. And then you realize that Bruce doesn't buy his own food, which I get it's been established he can't cook and he can't shop, but, like, it's beside the point. He goes over, he sleeps in a chair, because apparently he can't even sleep in a bed if Alfred doesn't tuck him in. So we're getting, like, super extreme incompetent Batman, which was not where I thought we were going with Tomasi's run, but here we are. (sighs) Anyways, he wakes up to basically that scene in Atlantis where a spy is sitting across from him, and it's Marigold, and Marigold is like, you know, I'm I'm a buddy of Alfred's. He told me to come here if I ever needed anything, and Bruce is like, I'm gonna call the police, and she's beating around the bush because she doesn't want to, like, call him Batman to his face, but she knows he's Batman. And you could kind of see her shadowy figure watching him, like, save people. Mm. So she's like, look, me and Alfred are um, stereotypes. You see, back in MI6, she doesn't say we were lovers in the night, but it's kind of implied. And she also says, we had a buddy. And he was a double agent. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> he was a Russian spy. But before we could bring him in, some stupid kids, idiot parents, got murdered. 
and he had to give it all up for a family obligation. <laughs> She's like, sure wish we could go commit revenge, I mean justice, on this guy who betrayed us, but we can't because we are not at war with Russia. Darn it all. And he's like, well, I sure wish I could help you, but I am a playboy. So she leaves, and she tells him where to find her if he has any friends who aren't playboys. And so Batman jumps on her car, and she takes him to the Ukraine. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little fuzzy how he got there, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure she didn't drive him. <laughs> so they end up in the Ukraine at a Russian training camp that's supposed to look like um, Route 66. Batman reminisces about Alfred driving him down the Route 66 and letting him drive, which is just like, it's fine, whatever. It's revisionist history. So they fight some people. They beat the people. They win very quickly. Marigold is like, I'm going to shoot you. And Batman's like, no. And then she goes, but Alfred wouldn't like it. And Bruce is just in his head going, yeah, (laughs) Alfred would be proud of Marigold but he wouldn't be proud of me. And then I'm like, you know, why wouldn't he be proud of you, Bruce? And you see him, like, with a trash bag cleaning his house, and you're like, oh. (laughs) So her choosing not to kill this rogue agent (laughs) made you want to Marie Kondo your home. That's that's sweet. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's interesting. This is, it's just, Tomasi is such a hard person to, like, get a hold on, like, narrative wise it's very strange to me yeah so he's cleaning and then he of course goes in the room and she in the living room and she's sitting there and he's like my security should have stopped you and she's like haha and um then she has like a a photo album with some some letters i think she's reading him a letter that alfred sent with like nine pages of montage where alfred is just like yes today i cleaned and then shows him like cleaning blood stains mm-hmm. he's like and i helped bruce with an endeavor <laughs> and it shows him like making the bat suit and it's just like i mean it's fine it's not harmful it's just something we've done a million times mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like nine pages man really you couldn't have just told her like a real story you had to do this weird fake out we gotta fight the russians oh good we won it was like four pages and then nine pages of remember that time when <laughs> Alfred used baking soda on the rug you know that kind of stuff it wasn't a bad story but I, I am sad that I read it I feel like it was just out of place it kind of reminds me of one of the stories in Detective 1000 because I think they did it from Alfred's point of view I think it was Tinian's story mm-hmm. where he was talking about watching Dick Grayson go into like Bruce's life and then he became Robin I think that was from Alfred's point of view. But that was my favorite story. I loved that story. That was well executed. <laughs> I don't think the theme is the problem. I think it's the way that it was told. Yeah, I also wasn't really a fan of, like, this woman just broke into Wayne Manor. And he's like, you know, my security should have stopped you. She's like, yes, yes, but that's a tale for another time. Let's talk about this. <laughs> as she sits in that same chair that he probably nestled up with his Norse mythology book from the last issue of Detective Comics. <laughs> and then they open up, like, it looked like a photo album. It looked like they had, like, pictures and stuff in it. And then they go into the whole Alfred montage of how he's there for Bruce since the beginning of his days as the Batman. I, I didn't read it, but based off what you're talking about, I think it would have made more sense if they had just done, since it is an annual 
annuals kind of can do their own thing, but they're also part of the story and narrative. Made the entire thing maybe Bruce finding a letter from Alfred and Alfred actually they having do that. Oh, they did that already. I think so. Didn't that was in Tom King. Or... That, oh. was in, that was after. Um, that was Tom. Yeah. King. Never mind. Oh gosh. Then, then mm-hmm. never mind. Like that. Ugh. But it would have worked better if it was just the whole story of like Bruce reading this really long letter from Alfred kind of talking about the good yeah. times and being like, if you're reading yeah. this letter, then I'm probably dead kind of thing. Don't feel bad. Pretty much being a or... hopeful, uplifting thing to Bruce instead of this, hey, let's just dig it in more that Bruce is clinically depressed and can't even feed or take care of himself to the point where his son is having to leave sticky notes on his refrigerator, which also <laughs> isn't helping that Damien's not there. And I don't know why he is a child yeah and he's also has terrible habits they're like father like son there <laughs> yeah <laughs> both incompetent weirdos mm-hmm. who need help which like relatable based off the fact that i think this is this is going to tim of course my brain goes to there um i don't even know if tim knows about this based off of what bendis is kind of hinting at in young justice i don't think tim knows that alfred's dead as far as we know from that, well, we'll get more into that. In we'll part get more into two. that later, but still, because there's gonna be a crossover with Superman, and that might throw us into perspective. I don't really know. Uh, we'll we'll get into it. But Tim was there when he died. But he was because King didn't care. No one cared. Because King doesn't. No one reads other people's stories. It's fine. I'm done. That was my turn. My turn is up. All right. <laughs> okay. I covered Justice League 39. This is the first, well, not the first, but it's the most recent issue in a couple weeks. And it is also the last Justice League issue written by Scott Snyder and the art done by our favorite Jorge Jimenez. Yeah. I'm really sad to see them go, but it is going to be taken over by Robert Venditti. He's the writer of Hawkman, and he does good work. And I know Brian Hitch is also a pretty good artist. He does the art for Hawkman as well. Mm -hmm. Where we last left it off, Shane, who is the son of Kendra and Jean from the Sixth Dimension, sacrificed himself to be absorbed by Apex Luther, which caused Jean to be forced out of Apex Luther. Because Shane knew that he wasn't a strong enough telepath to reach all these people the way that his father could in order to help save humanity, to have them not go against justice. So he sacrificed himself and saved his father. Immediately... It goes right into the action. Jean sees everybody. He sees her in the middle of a fight. He's like, okay, I know what I have to do here. And reaches out to the world, tells them Perpetua just believes in I and I alone when we should leaving in we. We can all conquer this together. We can give each other strength. He gives like this really good, like heartwarming speech to the entire world, the entire universe, because he has to try and get everybody to side with justice. And it fails. You see the doom symbol above the earth and Perpetua starts laughing as she regains her powers. Said she knew this is exactly how it was going to play out from the very beginning. You know, typical like villain speech. But she wanted the Justice League to witness for themselves humanity siding with doom. Just to make it hurt a little bit more. And then she zaps them. But then they just reappear on the moon. And they're not wearing their hero suits. They're all in like these weird like black one piece suits. My first question was, how are they breathing? Because they're all on the moon. And then 
they're appeared by this group called the Quintessence. The Quintessence appeared in the first issue of Snyder's Justice League. They are a group of the most like all-knowing beings in the DC universe. So you have High Father of New Genesis, you have Phantom Stranger, you have Hera of Olympus, you have the Wizard Shazam, who does not look like the Wizard in the actual Shazam title. This looks more like the Wizard in before Flashpoint. You also have Ganthet of Oa, and you also have the Spectre. So the Quintessence say that we're the ones that saved you. Perpetua was going to vaporize you, but we saved you because the universe still needs you. And of course, they get questioned, you know, why didn't you help us? Like, what you could have prevented all of this. They said anything that we could have done, it wasn't going to work. You guys were always going to fail, and we were too busy protecting this other thing. And this other thing <laughs> turns out to be a door which connects all actions past, present, and future in order to help turn the tides against Perpetua. Phantom Stranger warns the Justice League that going through this door, you will bring everything to bear and give reckoning to every story, every event throughout history, the ones you know and the ones you don't. Meaning, like, everything that happened in the DC Universe so far, even the things that you don't even know happened, it's all going to happen now. It's all going to affect one another. And you see several flashes of these other DC events that happen. So you see Doomsday Clock, you see Event Leviathan, you see, I guess, this big thing that happened in the Terrifics where Bizarro is flying a pterodactyl. <laughs> You also see a panel of Young Justice and Naomi. So like all these things that the other leaguers don't know about that happened, which is Snyder's way of just tying everything together. Like this is how it's all going to collide now. They decide, all right, we have to stop Perpetua. We're going to go through that door. And they regained their, their suits. They regained their abilities and they parched her. And then that was it. So next week's Justice League is going to be written by Robert Venditti, number 40. I liked it. It did feel a little bit stereotypical in terms of the villains being like, I knew this was going to happen all along. And it kind of... I mean, but it is Perpetua. That was kind of her... But at the same time, she was locked away behind the source wall for eons. And it wasn't just until this No Justice event. These big events remind me of macroeconomics. You know, like microeconomics, you're like, I get it. I understand how money works. And then you get into macroeconomics, you're like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> and that's how I feel about these events. Like, the small ones that are personal, I'm like, oh, I get it. I understand the heart of superheroes and why people like them. And then I get to these big events, and I'm just like, I, why am I reading comics? <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> I hate everything. That's exactly my reason for dropping so many DC titles. Because right now, so much of it has been focusing on you're the villain, and stuff to do with post-Dark Knight Metal with the Batman Who Laughs. I do not care about them whatsoever. They are boring. I just want my good team stories or just individual stories. Do not care. Uh, I haven't really encountered much of a Marvel story yet. I read a little bit of War of the Realms and that was actually really good. But DC right now, like, no. No. <laughs> well, and I want to I want to address your hatred of of metal because like <laughs> like metal has its downside in that it is super early two thousands <laughs> edgy boy goth <laughs> yeah. punk metal whatever but 
it does find little ways to be intimate. Like it has those moments of intimacy where it's even the spin-offs, like they have these like moments where people are faced with absolute hopelessness, but they usually cut them off into smaller groups so that they're by themselves and they are sort of like not during the big event. The big one was just kind of like a breathless race to the finish line because I think it was like six issues or something. It was mm. so short. But like you know, they do have those moments. Like, remember that one with um, Tales of the Dark Multiverse with um, yeah. Sinestro? That had a very small gang. Yeah. And and it's intimate. It's very character-focused. So, I mean, for all of its faults, Dark Metal has some good qualities. And I think a lot of it has to do with Scott Snyder putting a lot of his mm-hmm. heart into it and knowing how to write these characters very specifically. Like, he gets their voice right. So that when they're put in those situations, it kind of flows how, in a in a more believable yeah. way, where you kind of just it immerses you more into it instead of like you know a lot of these writers when they have all these characters they can't really nail the tone of every single one of them so it kind of takes you back a little bit. Yeah, I I think the reason I just wasn't interested in it a was I think the only series at the time I was reading that had a crossover was Teen Titans everything else I didn't and that was that was a dumb mistake I had one of I had the Teen Titans cover and apparently I could have sold that thing for at least double or triple its cost and I just sold it to someone face value later and they're like oh you do know I saw it at a convention later I was like I'm a dumb dumb I had no <laughs> idea what I had uh, <laughs> I didn't even read it I was just like this isn't part of the Teen Titans story and it was predominantly Damien I was like eh whatever oh. I'm also like I had heard really good things about it, but I'm not a big fan of zombie-like things, and I feel that the virus, the Batman Who Laughs, is very kind of zombie-like. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's, that's not my thing. I don't like zombies or anything in that vein of stuff. Well, that's fair. It's- that's the reason why I didn't enjoy Deceased, mm. which yeah. I feel like was too close to the other thing. It's two different strains of zombies. I did enjoy it because it was a really good take on how all the characters would act until the very last issue. I didn't enjoy that. In terms of metal, like, I didn't read it because it was during New 52 and I, after reading the first eight issues of a couple stories, I just dropped New 52 altogether. And I haven't picked, I didn't pick up a book until again, like last year. I do want to read metal just because it does tie into so many of these other things, which I do appreciate that it does lead into all these other events like No Justice and the new Justice League title with Perpetua and even Hawkman, the new Batman Superman run, even things like Flash Forward, which is Scott Lobdell trying to revive Wally West from the damage that Heroes in Crisis caused him. And also tying in Dark Knight Metal with the whole Dark Multiverse thing. But yeah, I I, I agree with that. It, it actually seems like a better story, more cohesion, better thought out. Well, I'm sorry, Apex Lock is just <laughs> ugh, dumb. It's a dumb concept. <laughs> what? We, we already had such redemption for Lex. And it's just, Why? About it'd be different if it was like an alternate version of Lex. Like this is an alternate version of Bruce. We've had alternate versions of Lex come in and cause problems, but well, here's the thing too. So like, I also forgot to mention that when Jean was reaching out to the world, um, Perpetua is looking to Lex like, "Hey, like get your people here. Come on, we gotta win." And Lex goes against Perpetua. He's like, "I'm mm. sorry, I I can't." 
And then she started getting weak. She started getting chained. And then humanity sided with Doom. But aside from that, with Apex, I'm pretty sure in his year the villain thing, he shows a younger version of himself that he took from a different Earth. I feel like deep down he knows that his Apex self is not going to be alive forever. So he has a younger version of himself ready to go as a contingency, which is very parallel to the 90s. Um, okay, who's... I'm just... need to confirm. Who is writing Year of the Villain? Year of the Villain is technically overseen by Scott Snyder because it's mainly a Justice League title, but then all okay. the one-offs are written by different writers. But, okay, so... Mm, I don't know if it's just me and the fact that I've been watching streamers stream Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind, but um, I'm getting a Xehanort vibe off of Apex Lex right now with the, oh, I'm going to take an alternate younger version of myself and use him. And I'm like, that, that's exactly what Xehanort did. I'm sorry. And that was confusing. And this is just as confusing. But that's also what they did with, um, what's that Shazam villain? The one that's a doctor? Oh, Dr. Savannah? Yeah. I was reading this one with, um, I think it was Dr. Savannah, and it was one of those crossovers where they had all the the, the different Earths. You, know, you remember the tiny um, Earth universe? Yeah, with yeah, With the yeah. chibis? Like little Gotham? Um, there's a little Savannah there. Well, they're all robots. <laughs> they're... What? Chibi robots? They're all robots. That's so cute! Oh, good. I'm glad you think so, because I was traumatized. <laughs> Like they don't know they're robots. Oh my god. And that's the saddest thing of all. So Unaware robots. They're all super this is little West versions. World. I think there's this world was created by Alex Luther or someone like that who like created all these little guys. And they're all just like sort of children and they fight, but no one ever dies. No one ever gets really hurt. Um, it's all fun and games to them. So when Dr. Silvana betrays them all, when all these other Silvanas come and get him, um, he doesn't understand that they're going to kill all his friends. And it's really traumatizing, but they totally use him. And I think they use, like, another Silvana too. And then, like, end up giving him over to the vampire Silvana to eat. So they, like, totally, like, went after their own there. Yikes. Silvana side <laughs> right there. It's really interesting when you have, like, 52 worlds and you can, like, just pull characters from each one willy-nilly and be like, you're me, but Well, that's literally what Lex did in his Year of the Villain one-off. He went to all these different artists and he started killing all these other versions of Lex Luthor until he found, like, the right one, pretty much, to take under his wing. Because young Lex was, he was a child, he's impressionable, he can have him be raised in the way that he's going to form him into the evil scientist, egotistical, billionaire maniac that he normally is. So that when he dies, he just reverts back to his normal self and nobody would know the difference. So I also have the last issue of a run or writer's run, it's Justice League Dark number 19. It is James Tennyon's last one, I think, solo. Because I heard today that issue 20, he's co-writing it with Ram V. I don't know if the artists are staying on. They might change. I don't know. I didn't really keep up with that. The art is good for Justice League Dark, but it wasn't one of those ones where <laughs> I was like, ooh, I like this specific artist. There's three people working on this, mm-hmm. so I can't 
determined mm-hmm. who's doing what. So I'm going to kind of focus on one plot line first, but throughout this issue, it's switching perspectives between Kirk Langstrom, aka Manbat, interviewing Wonder Woman about what is magic. And these scenes are actually taking place a week after the final events and final fight that are going on, which is kind of interesting because he's been compiling data about his scientific theory of magic the entire time. Like, like why is Manbat here? He's like, oh, I'm interested in magic. I'm a scientist. And I want to try to understand it. Okay, Dr. Strange. Okay, Tinian. Don't know why he selected him. But for this, um, the Injustice League Dark has just captured Man Bat and Bobo and kind of reverted them to more of like an animalistic state. And Kent, who was the previous... Dr. Fate? Yeah, Dr. Fate. He's no longer Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate went a little bananas in the previous story arc. And they have shoved the Helmet of Fate away, which is actually going to be brought up again later. But in order to lure out the rest of the team so they can get their hands on Eclipso, because Cersei is power-hungry and already has the entire power of Hecate because she absorbed it after Witching Hour, grabbed the last bit from Diana, and is currently possessing her body, and wants the last bit of it, which is Eclipso. I don't know why she really wants Eclipso. She just does. Zatanna and Constantine are still in the inner chamber with the sealed Eclipso crystal that John wants to try and use, but Zatanna literally slaps him out of it. And we kind of hear what magic kind of means to them. That's the theme is just what is magic. John says, that's unusual. All this sort of thing is trust. You'll have a worse idea to Mario you in the kind of shit that gets you out of the first bad idea. That's magic love. But Zatanna says, no, it isn't. Magic is more than that. It has to be. Clarion manages to lock onto Eclipso's magical energy. And as Cersei's starting to head in that direction, she's stopped actually by the voice of Diane in her head. As I mentioned before, Cersei took over Diana's body and threw her consciousness out of it. In the last issue, Diana made a deal with the Upside Down Man to help her reclaim her body. With a burst of magic, Diana frees herself from Cersei, but there's like three variant versions of her, which I think is reflecting the three different versions of Hecate, because Hecate was mm. the young girl in the morning, the woman in the afternoon, and the crone in the evening. Right. So it's three versions of Diana. Huh. They begin to fight Cersei and her team, but of course, they're overpowering her and Midnight and the Parliament of Flowers guy, they just throw their hands up and Cersei's like, how dare you? And it was a little just slightly anticlimactic, to be honest. Like there wasn't this all out awesome fight that I was expecting. There was a nice spread of Diana fighting Cersei and like tying her down and parts of her confronting her Injustice League dark. But Diana says, when you learn that you cannot find power through spite alone, hatred killed Hecate and it will kill you too. Uh, She's kind of trying to warn Cersei. Diana has two different aspects. We've seen her cold-bloodedly kill people. (laughs) And then in a lot of instances has also shown a lot of restraint and mercy for those. She sees a part of herself in Cersei and kind of wants to help her. So I kind of appreciate Tinian's perspective and version of Diana and for some odd reason even though Eclipso has been in this inner chamber while Zatanna and Constantine have been fighting for who knows how many minutes decides to yeet itself out of there like just zips out and they're like no and scratches Diana because if you come in contact with the crystal or it cuts you um it starts to possess you, I think. I don't know too much about Eclipso and his weird crystal version of himself. Mm -hmm. Diana is a little worse for wear. She can't really contain the power of Eclipso. And Khalid, 
who is Kent's little apprentice, comes in wielding the helmet of fate, and with Diana's power brings balance back to everything. Like he manages to contain Eclipso. Uh, she gives Cersei the power that she's been craving this entire time. This is pretty much her entire thing was trying to gain power and prevents her from using it against the world, restores Bobo and Kirk's minds, and then traps Cersei inside a mirror that's a fabrication, the black diamond that Eclipso is sealed in, and Inth metal from Fate's helmet. So she's in this mirror just holding this energy. Uh, Constantine makes a funny little side comment of, great, we got another really powerful magical item that we're going to have to store in this place. <laughs> Whoa! Oh my god. Why give her her magic back if you're just going to put her in a mirror? Uh, That's not was, power. She's trying to restore order. She's using the power that she has and using together with fate to restore order, to restore balance. And a cute thing they do kind of, they skim over real quickly. They're like, the swamp thing got disintegrated a couple of issues ago, and they're like, oh, I can barely sense any um, energy from him. And Fate's like, his issue is beyond us now. We must focus on something else. And I'm like, oh, poor swamp thing. But during the interview, we get really great conversation from Diana about what magic is to her. She's confused at first. She's like, I, I don't really know what to really say. And Kurt gives her examples, Constantine, because he's interviewed other members of Justice League Dark. Constantine said, it's horror. Bobo said, a curse. Khalid said, it's a burn-in. Diana then starts this incredible monologue that unfortunately gets chopped up between all this action. Magic is the impossible made possible. Made into pure might by sheer force of will. It is the act of sh building something real out of myth and dream. I would say magic is wonder. But to call it wonder, that would be a lie. There's a darker edge that I must admit cuts me to the core. Power, the chance to shape the universe around you. There's always the risk to do it wrong, but in the moment, every choice feels right. There is nothing that feels as good or as right as wielding that power, and there is nothing in life I have feared more. Magic is wonder, magic is horror, magic is everything and nothing. It is what you will it to be, it is what it wills you to be. I don't know what magic is, I really don't, and that doesn't stop me from loving it and hating it and fearing it and being thrilled by where it will bring me next, but in the face of horror, we came together and we did it beautifully, impossible things, and that is magic, isn't it? So Tinian did such a good job of just summarizing his entire arc of just Diana searching for her place within the magical community she's like I, after no justice she's like i don't know why i'm here why the tree of wonder picked me which is why she stood with wonder you explore her connection with that and her struggle with power when it came to being an aspect of hecate giving that up and then once again having that power when she was connected with eclipso and the power the upside down man gave her and fate she was able to change stuff with just her thought, and it's terrifying to her. So I love the different aspects of magic and just everyone's perspective and just how Wonder Woman easily was able to just grasp all of it with her adventures with her friends. And then, of course, you see the team at the Oblivion Bar, and Diana says, Hey, Bobo, let's get our stuff. Let's go save Swamp Thing. So we're going to go save Swamp Thing in the next mm -hmm. story arc, and that ends Tenian's wonderful, wonderful run of Justice League Dark. So 
I do know that he wanted to keep on writing it, and he said in his newsletter how he thought he'd be able to continue writing Justice League Dark and Batman, but... It's too much. He's got to stick with Batman. I I don't blame him. Honestly, it feels like he put more effort and, like, heart and research into this story about Wonder Woman than what I've seen so far Mm. with Batman. It sounds like that was his real passion, but, like, you get offered Batman, you don't turn it down. Maybe because the end of this arc was definitely started right when he was starting Batman, and he wanted to give Justice League Dark the ending it deserves. So maybe later on with Batman, we'll see more of Tinian's usual style and attention to detail and love. Maybe later, once we know, okay, he wasn't writing Justice League Dark at the same time, and he's able to put everything into Batman. Especially because right now he's still kind of like in his setup uh, phase of getting his like Batman world. Well, and dealing with King. I don't know if it's that he, he didn't have time because he sure put in a lot of things. I mean, you remember last time we were King the artist mm-hmm. for all the crotch shots. But like, we have to share some of that with Tinian for designing a luge where Batman's legs are yeah. spread eagle as he flies down the road. That's a weird thing, but he ha- didn't have to invent that. He chose to invent that, a new vehicle, like four new villains right off Plus, the Plus, it's not always like the artist's depiction because they have to go off the writer's notes in the comic script. So Tinian had to have designed something, and when the artist, you know, gives him the rough sketch of like, hey, is this kind of what you were aiming for? He does have to sign off on it before it gets inked <laughs> and everything. <laughs> Although, to play devil's advocate, like, imagine... You're Tinian, and you're like, well, listen here. What was his name? Gillian March. Thank you. He sounds like a Batman villain, which is why I shouldn't forget his name, but I do. So Gillian March. Now imagine you're Tinian, right? And you're like, all right, Gillian, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to design a luge that can go down buildings, and I'm going to put Batman in it. He's going to luge down the building. Can you design a luge? And Gillian March is like, drawing like Catwoman's crotch and he's like looks up and he goes yes and I know what I will design it as and then he draws it as like spread out like kind of I don't want to say a gynecologist that's you're not wrong but <laughs> basically your like your design crotch 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 okay Batman <laughs> it was his choice to draw it an upshot of him as he's coming towards the camera crotch <laughs> first. Like, <laughs> there are too many coincidences. Yeah. I'm gonna to criticize that design because I'm sorry. It is. There's too much drag. <laughs> Your legs spread eagle. That's why luges are normally like luge, bobsleigh, and skeleton. They're all like as close together as freaking possible so you can get that speed. And Batman is just like. <laughs> I think he's a brute, guys. <laughs> Batman's man spreading over the freeway. Ah, <laughs> oh, just the wind in my balls. That was the whole point. Of this. To truly let the battle wing fly. God. <laughs> oh. Welcoming the black the black label line with open legs. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, Tinian definitely does. I mean, he does get partial of blame, and I will also say that he's probably a little stretched out 
in terms of like all his storytelling because he had Batman, he had Justice League Dark, he had his Something is Killing the Children, he has his new young adult graphic novel Wind coming out. He also was helping co-write uh, You're the Villain, Hell Arisen. He was also helping to co-write the last couple issues of Snyder's Justice League. So he was kind of like bouncing around all over the place. So I will say that maybe like he couldn't really focus as much as he wanted. And maybe it's also me just having a little bit more hope that his thing is going to build up. Just because I know his writing style a little bit. A lot of artists when they do get stretched very thin start to kind of they prioritize one yeah they start yeah they really do because well and a good example of just somebody that maybe needs to cut back on some of the stuff that she's working on teeny howard from marvel started writing death's head and we knew it was a miniseries it was only gonna be like i think it was six five or six issues um she put a lot of work into it but because she knew it was a miniseries, she knew where it was going to go from one end to the other. Uh, she then started right towards the end of that. Strike Force happened. Also started writing that one. Started out really strong. The last couple issues have been a bit weak because she's also writing uh, Excalibur, and I'm like, girl, Lord, those are two yeah. major. And Strike Force, I think, is a it's just once a month. And Excalibur, because of a lot of the X titles, are bi monthly. That's two. Com- like three comics a month that she's putting out that's that's a lot that's a whole other complication in itself too with their own reading order but now i'm actually a little bit confused with them so they all hit their issue six except for x-men but now there's no reading order so is it now that they're all just in their own separate titles now with their own different separate story arcs that aren't going to fall into each other i think they still are it's just i don't think there's not as much or maybe after issue six once we get like the issue sevens you'll see that reading order show back up again but i i don't really know i think it's i don't really think it's much of a it's kind of a reading order it's not it's more like a suggested read this Mm -hmm. because something major might happen in this title that reflects this one but i don't care i'm only reading excalibur so (laughs) not excalibur marauders is it at this point Mm -hmm. I would say to pick up Excalibur again because it did get uh, more interesting. I love Marcus Toe. X-Force is like, eh, and so is X-Men, but I would love to drop New Mutants right away. <laughs> I do not care about them new, whatsoever. New Mutants is definitely, uh, I can't wait for X-Factor, though. That one's going to be nice. Mm, that's true. But that is everything that we wanted to cover in terms of comics for part one. So, V, could you please read out the other comics that are out for DC this week? Oh, absolutely. So this week we have Action Comics 1019, The Flash 87, Green Lantern Black Stars number three, Suicide Squad number two, and the very interesting Terrifics number 24. And, Muse, could you please read some of the titles coming out for Marvel this week? Yep. We've got a handful of number ones, another Spider-Man, the Daily Bugle number one single issue. We got Avengers number 30, Avengers of the Wasteland number one, Captain America 18. Some more of the ends with Captain Marvel and Deadpool and Doctor Strange getting their the end tie-ins. Of course, more X-Men titles with Fallen Angels number six, X-Force number six, and X-Men five, and also New Mutants number six. Okay. Thank you for listening to part one. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor, and we will be right back with more of this week's comics. This week's episode is brought to you in part by 
most famous Jokerized fries, now available in your local food section. Have at them with your own mini crowbar that comes inside the box along with their new hysterically delicious dipping sauce. The price may be average, but the taste is sure to bring a smile to your face. Thank you and welcome back to part two. This is what we're going to be working on our short box. Basically, we're going to be covering every other title, DC, Marvel, Image, IDW, any young adult graphic novels, the works. Um, so I'm going to just dive right into it. We have Action Comics 1019, written by Lex Luthor, no, sorry, Brian Michael Bendis. And the art is from John Romita Jr., who is working up to be the new Frank Miller. Pretty much, this is oh, no. Bendis' retelling of how he believes the year of the villain battle went down in his image. Overall, this entire year of the villain arc in Action Comics is not even worth the read because it's over. The actual year of the villain thing is over. There is no reason to read this <laughs> because it was all summed up in the Justice League title. The other funny part is that no other comic titans are covering this fight because everybody knew that Justice League was going to be covering it. So this is pretty much like a Bendis fan fiction feeling, um, I wanted it to actually go this way. So then he goes into his toy box, he pulls out his action figures with his characters that oh he wanted gosh. in the story, and he just implements it himself. Probably called Snyder up saying, hey, I saw that you forgot to include Leviathan in your, um, your giant battle and Young Justice. And Snyder's probably like, well, you know, I was collabing with everybody and I saw that Leviathan was done and Young Justice wasn't on Earth Zero. So, yeah, I wasn't going to put them in there. He's like, yeah, but you could have. <laughs> oh, and so he's like, no, it's fine. You know what? I'm just going to put it in my action comics. Don't even worry about it. It's going to work out fine. <laughs> so this everything takes place a week before the events of the last issue. And there were so many problems I had just on page one alone. So with a lot of the action comic titles, they open up with the Daily Planet's like Twitter page, pretty much. So you have all their latest tweets, trendings, everything. The first thing I had a problem with was the Twitter banner photo. So it's a bunch of Patrick Gleason's art of Superman and like, like a little mix match of all like the different things that Superman's done. But in the top corner, you see a picture of baby Kal-El in the arms of Jonathan Kent. How did the Daily Planet get this image? If this is a Twitter banner Legally. photo, like the only thing I can think of is now that Clark exposed his identity. He's like, well, like, I mean, let me just give you some photo albums here so you know I'm telling the truth. Here's me being crash landed on the farm. Here's me being picked up from my spaceship. Like, ah, just annoying. And then just the tweets. So you have live updates of Justice League and Young Justice going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Legion of Doom. That's part one of Bendis including his characters and the thing that they weren't a part of. Then you have Central City trying to figure out how to rebuild their city after the rogues uh, had taken over it and the Flash stopped them. Problem with that is that the Flash was currently helping the Justice League and quote-unquote Young Justice fight the Legion of Doom. Then you also have hashtag Supergirl with the bad hair because she's currently part of the Batman Who Laughs, the infected. So that was just weird. Then you also have the Planet Krypton restaurant saying that they no longer have the secret sauce just like Superman. <laughs> uh, that should have been worded a little bit better. Yeah. 
We ain't got no Superman. secret sauce, see? Because we're <laughs> boring, like Superman. Oh, but you get ketchup. <laughs> God. Like a real no. American. <laughs> but oh. it's regular soup for a regular man. No, it's a regular salad. No more super salad. That's it. <laughs> But another thing that I also realized that Bendis likes to do is when he has to write Lex Luthor, he likes to write Lex Luthor appear as a human being because, you know, he's been known as Apex Lex since he turned into Apex Lex. But as soon as Lex is on the panel, he reverts back into a human form. It doesn't matter who he's talking to. He can be by himself and he just reverts to human. Why? Who knows? Because in all the other titles, Lex has been so proud of his new evolution. So why would he revert? Bendis logic. Pretty much. And I think I, I think Bendis likes looking at himself <laughs> in Lex and doesn't like this new Apex <laughs> Lex version because he doesn't look like him That's anymore. Like, that is so good. And it's more of him just forcing himself into his own story. <laughs> My self-insert doesn't look like me, but he wishes he did. <laughs> Just so he was watching the exploits of Leviathan, the whole thing that went down. So they invite Leviathan to join the Legion of Doom to fight the Justice League. And Leviathan comes aboard and he says how Lois revealing his identity was part of his plan. Something that we've been hearing a lot recently. So he's like, oh, yes, I've, <laughs> I've had this all planned out from the beginning. Yes, I did. A lot of reverse cars in this Uno deck. They're sh he's showing off his tech. Um, and Brainiac is jealous. Brainiac, the <laughs> unemotional, like, bio-organism robot. <laughs> like, he's showing it to... Who thinks he's better than everyone yeah. in every incarnation? He's like, so, he, Leviathan's talking to Lex. He's like, I have some of the world's best engineers. And this is another thing that Bendis does, is that he likes to have... If two people are having a conversation, both people are fans of each other. So they have to, like, uh. mutter something in, like, a fan would say under their breath all the time. So he, so Leviathan goes to Lex. He's like, I have some of the world's best engineers who are all dying to meet you, by the way. And then you hear Brainiac. Uh. He's like, this world's best. So Lex goes to Leviathan. He's like, I have to apologize. And then Brainiac says, no, you must not. I meant all of that jealousy. <laughs> when you mentioned the oh under the gosh. breath <laughs> comments... <laughs> I was getting war flashbacks from the latest Young Justice issue where there's so many dang yeah. side breath comments of, oh my gosh, it's Robin. It's Drake now. And I'm like, can we stop? Or like, oh, I love your work. And it's just nothing but fun, fun fan service. Like, who gives a crap about if heroes like or respect each other like this? You tell that in another way besides just, fanboy logic i just see it as a way of him bendis fanning himself like yes yes no one else is going to give me praise so i must write it myself <laughs> he says to all of his made-up characters wow you're so well built isn't that what they were doing with naomi too is they were just like praising her constantly yeah and it's like you just made up this character inserted her into an existing world and now you're having them all praise her which is <sighs> honestly so what they did on cw's batwoman and Gil Simone does that, I think, where she has a bunch of her characters. They'll just compliment each other. A little bit. Marjorie yeah. Bennett, too. 
But yeah, so Brainiac is being jealous of Leviathan's tech because it's from Earth and it's apparently superior to Brainiac's. Page seven is just <laughs> filled with such awkward paneling and Bendis giving more himself a pat on the back. So they were talking about Lexus trying to break up the fight between Leviathan and Brainiac. He's like, now, now, come on, let's settle here. Leviathan just says, yeah, you're right. I would hate the smell of burnt ape. Because Gorilla Grodd, Sinestro, and Cheetah are also all there. So it's a panel of Leviathan looking straight with that, with that word bubble. Then you have Gorilla Grodd saying nothing. Then you have Cheetah saying nothing. And then you have that same panel of Leviathan, except no word bubble. And then you have Lex just being like, anyway, so back to why we're all here. Like, ugh, just so awkward. Brainiac says how they were impressed with how Leviathan was somehow able to stay off everybody's radar in order to pull off this giant heist of exposing the government, including their own radars, which I feel like is just Bendis. Like, yeah, you like how I just forced my villain to do what I wanted? Leviathan takes them all to what he calls Leviathan Island, which looks like Neo-Gotham. (laughs) <laughs> like it's just this future oh, no. futuristic society he's like this is what the world can be if we go with my plan and my problem with this is why didn't he teleport himself to leviathan island at the end of event leviathan instead of being a mopey depressed old man in the desert reading lois lane's article exposing his identity i don't know so then It cuts to present day in the park where this year the villain fight is going on with Justice League and the Young Justice going against the Legion of Doom. Batman is in a full suit of armor and Wonder Girl is on the ground unconscious. Problem with that, once again, Young Justice was not there. They were on a completely different Earth and Batman was flying the Hall of Justice attacking the flying Legion of Doom base. Then you're just seeing the Daily Planet's live tweets of the whole fight. Things like hashtag Lex Luthor is now a Martian. Hashtag Jimmy Olsen on sale now. Because Bendis has to throw in his other side buddies stories that are also going on. And that was it. And then the rest is going to be continued in 1020. So overall, I hated it. And those are just a little tidbits of my rant. I could go on, but I would need my whole own separate podcast. Kind of like how J. Jonah Jameson just has his own about Spider-Man. That would be me about Bendis. I would join you (laughs) very much on that Bendis train. I really hate when authors use social media in their, like, I don't know if they just don't know how to use it properly or if it's just, it's, it feels so out of touch. It, it feels a little bit like you want to go, okay, boomer, but you know that they're very proficient in Twitter because you see them on Twitter all the time. Mm. They live there. They're always talking about nonsense and you're like, oh, so you're not writing your books. Cool. That's fun. But like, I wish they would leave it out of the books because it's so boring. I just really wish that he didn't feel the need to congratulate himself on a job well done. You know his ego is at least as big as Lex's. Is he going away anytime soon? I mean, it feels like they conquered Tom King. So here's my theory. My theory is because we all know that the 5G initiative is supposed to come out in 2021. I think that whatever current writers there are right now, they're the ones that are going to see it through until the reboot. And then they'll get replaced with the new writers. 
So I feel like Tinian is going to be the last Batman until um, the 5G. I feel like Bendis is going to be the last Superman until the 5G. And Steve Orlando would be like the last Wonder Woman until the 5G. Because there's been a lot of passing of the torch for series Mm -hmm. going on at the beginning of the year. So I think it's allowing other writers to get off of these and give it to new writers because they're aware of the 5G initiative and... I would just hope that Bendis is one of the ones that gets kicked off soon instead of being on for a whole other year just because he has so many titles. Like, I'm not... Like, I would love for him to be taken off of everything, but I feel like he should be taken off at least one or two of his titles because he has... Thankfully, The Legion is only like a mini-series, if I recall. Oh, it is. I didn't know that. So that he'll be he'll be off that one quick. I think we're already on issue like three or four. Mm-hmm. So, hooray! But I I doubt getting his claws out of Superman action and Young Justice. He's he's stuck with those. So I think he could easily I think bequeath Young Justice to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's letting go of actual Superman no. and action comics. Anytime that he's soon. not. And then I was listening to um, a podcast the other day, and they were saying with Bendis's deal with DC. They were going to offer him Batman originally, and then he's like, I want Superman. And then he just latched on, and he stayed there. Duck his heels in. I definitely agree. Like, I think that he could get taken off of Young Justice, if any of them, but not Action Comics or Superman. Those... Or or maybe just, despite the fact I love the characters in Young Justice, and I'm so happy, I was happy to see them in a story together. We haven't seen them together since a while, but... I, I would not care if it got canceled. No, honestly, he's done just so much damage to these like beloved characters that I would prefer it just got canceled <laughs> and redone. <laughs> he's done damage. He's done perma damage. To Especially him. because, again, like none of, because nobody else is referencing Bendis's work, aside from maybe like. Uh, Superman exposing his identity here and something about Event Leviathan there. Other than that, they're not referencing any of these other stories. So I feel like it could be a soft reboot if they redid Young Justice because no no damage yep. would be done. Because again, Tim is still considered Red Robin to every other title. Yep. And Cassie, obviously, I think we mentioned this before, Cassie hasn't really come in contact with Donna or Diana. And with Bart, Bart was... Uh, first appeared before the Young Justice title, so he is in Flash. he is there, but he hasn't made an appearance at all. He has he still Not hasn't again. seen any of his family members. I think that oh, was in yeah, an, was that, that an annual? that was in um that was in an annual, and it was actually in um the Flash issue before the annual. But just that right, was, that so was he's it. still there, but he hasn't seen anybody, and he hasn't interacted with anybody because Bendis. <laughs> pretty kind of i'm guessing just said hey i'm actually gonna take him so you can't use him yet but he'll be back i don't know i yeah none of them have been referenced in anything else no so i feel like whatsoever it is easy to just do a soft reboot and in terms of like legion of superheroes like let's say it is like a six issue or even a 12 issue miniseries john is coming back from the future no matter what we know that and he's going to be an adult when he comes back and that's what's going to pursue the 5g initiative so it's just a matter of when that is. Also, speaking of the 5G initiative, I was actually going through the previews for... Uh, oh, it's in the Titans Annual too. It's titled, like, Was Damien Wayne Robin No More? So that could be another reason why Damien might not take over as Batman is because he might just be done or just... Could also be what Bendis was referencing to a couple months ago when Young Justice was still pretty new when he did his Reddit Q&A 
and said that John and Connor are going to have a talk about who's going to be Superboy, and Tim and Damien are going to have a talk about who's going to be Robin. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. The we'll only see. thing I can think of is Tim goes, actually, yeah, this whole being named after a duck thing is pretty dumb. I'm just going to go back to being Robin. Please? <laughs> also, uh, we're getting a... Young Justice is crossing over with Superman soon. In um, so. 1023. So I believe in February at some point. February yep. or Later early in the March. Month. <sighs> mm-hmm. But that was my long extended rant. So, V, what do you have? Oh, mine's very short. Um, so I didn't read much this week. The only thing that I read aside from Detective Comics was Ravencroft number one, which, you know, I just went in cold. I don't know anything about Ravencroft. I don't know anything about the Cult of Carnage or um, or was it Cult of Venom? I couldn't tell you. The only thing I know about Ravencroft is that it's supposed to be after Absolute Carnage. Yeah, Absolute Carnage was a thing. <laughs> Cult of Venom, I think. It was like Marvel's form of Arkham Asylum because that's where all the villains were held. Yes. Yeah, but they got like a bunch of like supernatural nonsense happening mm. from what mm-hmm. I can gain. I don't know. Like, I'm going to have to research it. I'm going to have to go into it a lot further. Currently, all I know is Misty Knight is part of some shadowy secret organization, and they pulled some strings to get her in there. Now, I guess Misty Knight has had some experience with villains before, so she's kind of undercover, but she's also kind of there to help rehabilitate them. She's not really there for that, though. Her main goal is to shadow John Jameson and check up on him. Because I guess he had a really huge part in Absolute Carnage. And honestly, I'm just going to have to go back through all that or I'm not going to understand anything going forward. All so, I know from absolutely him is that he was an astronaut, right? That's, jo- that's Jonah's son? Yep. And he's the one who brought Venom back, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. depending on which version you're following. So to anyone who's like me and hasn't read that much of Misty Knight, she's a magic person. <laughs> magic man. <laughs> um, she... Sorry, Vine affected us all. Magic man, tell me a magic (laughs) Listen, if you don't read comics, you probably saw the Netflix series of either Luke Cage or I think she makes an appearance in... Defenders. Doesn't she she also make an appearance in Iron Fist? Um, I I think think she she does. does. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Anyways, Misty Knight, that lady. She's less cute in the... Well, I don't know. She's older in the comics she has like big old hair she usually has like a round afro that's kind of like a halo i like it honestly (sighs) jessica jones is the only one i pay attention to and honestly i might watch it again for a fourth time that's how obsessed i am with that one (laughs) i love the first season i refuse to admit that any others were created (laughs) it's just amazing okay so so she you've probably run into her before you know cop but turned like a bunch of things because you know how marvel likes to reuse its characters until they've been part of 80 shadow organizations been to 30 planets and have died at least four times so misty (laughs) knight's been through a lot i don't know if she made it to that because she is kind of like a c-list character but it was really exciting to be like oh good we're following someone who isn't you know Spider-Man, or one of the 18 versions of Spider-Man slash (laughs) Spider-Woman that are running around, you know. So anyways, Misty Knight, I mean, it's my own fault, because I keep picking up comics that say Spider-Man on it. I'm making this way too long. The point is, she's undercover, she's in this asylum, John Jameson, Jingleheimer Smith, (laughs) is running around, and 
he refuses to turn into a werewolf, and somehow that is a problem for people. And I'm just like, no, man, good for him. I'm glad he's, like, working on himself, but they're worried it's trauma because people are, like, picking on him, and they're like, it's dangerous. If you don't defend yourself here, you'll die. And I'm like, that seems like a failure of the establishment and not really his (laughs) fault at all. But anyways, she's trying to help him get his groove back. (laughs) <laughs> and meanwhile, Mayor Wilson Fisk is running the place, and he's, like, letting Norman Osborn waltz around, and Misty's like, You blankety-blankety-blanker! I hate you! Do you know what you did? You killed people! And I'm like, everyone in this place has killed people. What are you doing? <laughs> and she's like, You! You're the goblin! You're a bad person! And he's like, The city said I'm not responsible for absolute carnage. And she's like, I don't care. Get out of here. And he's like, I can do what I want because Fist said it's okay. And that already to me is, I'm like, yeah, of course he did because they're bad guys, Misty. But Misty's like, I don't know if she just doesn't know that Mayor Wilson Fisk is bad. I will defend Norman Osborn because on a few occasions he has actually gotten his condition with the goblin under control, but it doesn't always last very long. So he could be in one of those... I'm all right, and I'm in control, and I will totally not re- mm, relapse I don't towards know. the end of this. And he, he's kind of even before that, around. he was just a shady, shady dude. So he's he's a little bit of a and also rat. it's Fisk. He's, it's freaking yes. Fisk. Everyone knows he's a jerk. He's the mayor. Mayors are supposed to be jerks. So Osborne's running around being like shady. He's being really creepy. He's kind of like he's kind of like. Okay, this is the dynamic of the comic, all right? Misty's like the single mom of Jameson. She's like, talk to me, son. He's like, "Mm, I don't want to talk to you, mom. I don't have anything to say. And then he's like, yeah, he's like the teenage daughter, right? And then, like, Norman Osborn is like that skeezy boyfriend who's too old for her who keeps coming around. And she's like, get away from my daughter. And he's just like, you can't stop me. And then he goes over. As soon as Jameson's alone, he's always like, kind of leaning in and rubbing his shoulders and being all creepy and like hey (laughs) you don't have to do anything you don't want to do and i'm just like it's too strong norman you need to calm down (laughs) like get down to car salesman vibe and less like pervert vibe right now because like you're pushing it (laughs) but i think he is trying to like recruit him for something but i'm like just spit it out man like stop rubbing his shoulders you're just making him upset you're making everyone around you upset you're not selling anything so jameson you know super creeped out by osborne he's like don't touch me with your grubby weird filthy hands get away from me and everyone's treating him like a a a beat dog but he's just like waltzing from place to place like haha i am a villain so it's it's weird it's funny but it's weird Because, like, I'm coming into this cold, so I don't know the relationship dynamics in play. I'm just like, Osborne, get it together, man. What happened to you? (laughs) So the highlight of this whole comic is there's, like, a counseling session. And this one guy, like, spends, like, a page and a half complaining about (laughs) Ant-Man. He's like, I I got, when I used to get beat up by Spider-Man, that was one thing. But I got my ass handed to me by Ant-Man. <laughs> it feels bad. And she's like, that's good. Not that you got beaten by a creature that people shoo away at picnics. 
but <laughs> um, oh my God. it's good that you're getting it off your chest. Like, she's just shaming him for not fighting better. I don't know. So, yeah. Is this Heroes weird, in Crisis? It's a weird tone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird tone. No, it's much better. There's, like, it's, like, that, that opening in Punisher where they're just, like, all sitting around a group talking. It's like that. But for villains... I guess it would be more like um, Wreck It Ralph. Wreck It Ralph. Ralph. Yeah, it's just basically Wreck It Ralph. Bad guy doesn't make us bad guy. <laughs> Thanks, Satan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's what I was thinking because there's this one guy and he's like, Deadpool threw me all. Over. He exploded me and my spleen ended up in New Jersey. And she's just like, Okay, that's TMI, freak. <laughs> and I'm like, Wow. You're a terrible therapist. But then I found out his name is actually Freak. So oh. <laughs> that was just me walking in blind into something and like not understanding the context. So this is this whole comic is me just like Literally misunderstanding me context. With every Marvel title. That's how I'm walking <laughs> in so far. So Misty, she's like, for some reason she thinks Ravencroft is legit, right? It's got a bunch of villains there. She thinks she's helping. She's kind of getting the hang of it. She and Jameson both get invited by skeevy Uncle Norman to come to a room. And I'm thinking, oops, where's your guardian? And they go in with Norman, and there's Fisk. And I know I said it like (laughs) you'd say, and there's Harvey Weinstein. No, he's got clothes on. And he's sitting at a desk, a chair, like it's a round table. And with him, in plain clothes, are Hobgoblin... The Scorpion, Moonstone, Taskmaster, that creep. And he's like, meet the people who run Ravencroft. Oh my god! Oh no. <laughs> oh, the inmates own Raven. Oh no. Oh no. So they're basically, yeah, it looks like they're about to be recruited into the Insidious Six, basically. Because <gasps> I see four villains there with this. And okay. it looks like it's time to fight Spider-Man is all I'm saying. I was going to disregard this whole title because I didn't read Absolute Carnage. But now I think I need to pick it up because this sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the reveal. All right. So I have a little bit of a longer story. The only actual single issue comic I had this week was Justice League Dark. And the other thing I picked up was the young adult graphic novel for that's an alternate retelling of Cassandra Kane known as Shadow of the Batgirl. Ooh. I have really been astounded with DC's YA imprint that they've been doing. This one, Legacy, the Super Sons ones, eh, kind of. Raven and Black Canary as well, Ignite. They've been so good. They're all really self-contained. The only ones that we do know of that in this line that actually are going to connect is uh, Piccolo's story. Oh, so right. we have Raven and Beast Boy are going to connect. Other than that, they're just all separate cute stories. And most of them are very good coming-of-age stories. Especially this one, if you know anything about Cass. Plus that girl and her struggles. So... <laughs> It starts out with Cass actually failing to accomplish a mission that she was set out to assassinate um, this just random guy and was compromised because, as we all know, Cass can't really, she has a hard time of understanding speech and reading because she was never really taught it as a kid. And 
all she hears is this man say daughter. And the way he says it, because of her ability to really read people's emotions through their speech and through body language, that's how she's able to kind of tell what people are talking about. But she has no idea what the word means, and she runs away from this. Let's let's just say Cass runs away a lot in this, because she has to think about something. And runs into Jackie, who or Jacqueline, who's an older Japanese woman that runs a noodle shop. Uh, she starts calling her mouse as a term of endearment, because Cass refuses to say anything or her name. Uh, because she saw her digging food out of a dumpster. And Jackie feeds her noodles, and she goes to reassuringly either pat her on the shoulder, touch her hand, and Cass immediately just has a PTSD moment. And she snaps and just snaps her hand back because she starts to envision a fight scene, like things that she's done of like flipping someone over her or attacking them, and she backs away and runs off. Uh, A lot of these moments happen throughout of her upbringing, She's not used to positive um, reinforcement through physical touch. So she just reacts very poorly to this. And this is due to upbringing and the fear of failing. So now she's like, my dad's going to send people after me and they're going to try and kill me. So she runs away and finds solace in a library, which is really cute considering someone who can't actually read or understand anything where she makes a little home for herself in a secluded nook of the library like at the very top that no one goes to and uses that as like her little base she collects books that she kind of uses training dummies and starts posting a bunch of pictures and things up there later throughout the story as she's trying to piece together as what she likes to call her before she doesn't know the word for past she starts kind of living here and overhears a a woman with red hair in a wheelchair talking about a story about Batgirl. And she's playing a Clark Kent basically. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She begins to learn all about Batgirl because this woman is kind of using them as inspirational stories and is trying to (laughs) get kids to write write their own (laughs) stories. Yeah, the ego. She probably talks about other things, but Through Cass's perspective, (laughs) she's only interested in the Batgirl stories. Mm -hmm. And she starts to learn about Batgirl through this by listening to the stories and trying to read articles and looking at books. While she's doing her little research of trying to understand what the heck a daughter is, because one of Batgirl's titles is the daughter of Gotham. And she's like, what is this? I need to learn. I need to learn what this is. Uh, I need to know what Batgirl is. She sounds awesome awesome and she as she's reading in her little nook she meets this boy named Eric he comes over and he's like oh I haven't seen you before he's apparently a summer intern that starts to kind of take an interest in Cass because he he's lonely kid just wants to talk about romance novels it's (laughs) kind of wholesome and he's he's this guy that he, he plays football he's a jock but he likes romance novels and actually wants to be a writer you learn out later but he kind of play, takes a bit of a sidestep at this point because Cass gets caught listening to these stories from Barbara Gordon. Ha ha. So Babs tries to reach out to Cass and surprise runs away. And Babs drops off some little Batgirl articles for her to read because, of course, Barbara is in charge of scanning the articles for the library and has all this information and wealth of knowledge about Batgirl and we don't know why. Hmm, she just must be a Batgirl enthusiast. 
One of the cutest scenes is Babs is just trying to like do all of her work and the head librarian complains about you're trying too much. You need to get yourself an intern. And Babs is like, I'm good. Irma leaves, who's the head librarian. And all of a sudden, lightning flashes and there's just a shadow that looks like a bat. And there's Cass standing there what behind the Babs. She freaks out and shudders. <laughs> She's like, ah. I'm like, oh my god, it's such a Batman thing. That was super cute. Uh, she volunteers to help her out with her work if she'll give her more information on Batgirl. But she'll only do it if Barbara doesn't ask her any questions. Like, just don't ask questions at all. And they start to have, like, a really cute relationship with Barbara kind of, I think, catching on to, like, something's up with this girl. But uh, I'll, I'll humor her. And Cass opens up to her. And Barbara learns about her ability to read people. And she's like, that's incredible. But she doesn't try to, like, abuse it. She's just like you're so, you're so different. You're so, this, this is what makes you you. This is what makes you special. Like you're an awesome person. Uh, Cass is like, I, I think it's just normal. And eventually tells her her name, but regrets it when Bab starts just actually starts asking questions. And she once again runs away and comes back and apologizes. And Babs tests her ability on the library patrons. And she's like, oh, that little girl, she's reading the same book over and over again because she can't reach the top shelf to reach the sequel book. And all these cute little things about people. Yeah, it's a little, little girl. Is a common problem? That seems I don't scary. know. Mm. I don't know. They're, these are like really tall bookshelves, to be honest. And it's just adorable when she it's eventually later on solves these little problems. Stairs. <laughs> Where, I where don't are your know. Stools? I think she's can't too- she call a librarian over to get her the secret? You must be this tall to read these books. <laughs> <laughs> but she later solves the problems like that, or kids leaving food and stuff around the library, uh, and things like that is Batgirl, and it's cute that it gets brought up later. She actually takes the little girl that can't reach the sequel book. She swoops in Bat like Batman style, picks her up, and sticks her on a shelf. Like, in it, and says, read your sequel, and just leaves. What if she was wrong? The girl just didn't like the sequels, and now she's stuck on a shelf. <laughs> she's stuck reading the same dang book over and over again. But oh, so she funny. finds an article about her father threatening local businesses, and she fears for Jackie's safety, because Jackie owns a local ramen shop. And she gets stopped by Babs, because Babs is like, what's going on? And she kind of eventually reveals to her and Jackie everything, like who she is and all of this, because she can't keep it inside anymore. She needs to sell somebody, because it's getting bigger than what she wants. And decides to adorably become Batgirl herself, and crafts her outfits out of the materials that she has, and uses this ugly, ugly ass shirt that Jackie gave her before as she turns it inside out, cuts the sleeves off, and makes it her cape. So it's just this ugly, like, rose pattern cape. It's funny. It's, it's But it's so cute because it's just she's a child trying to make her own little costume and starts, like I said, starts solving the issues within the library, even chasing after a man that skipped out on paying his late fee, but she, like, super pounces on this guy like hardcore pins him to the ground and Babs and Jackie walk by and they're like uh you can let the man go I think you went a little too far there uh your heart's in the right place but do you have 
like a reason or a passion for becoming Batgirl and doing what you want to do. And she's like, no, I don't, I don't have a passion. I just, I just did. So she was like, ooh, passion. Eric mentioned that because of romance novels. So she decides to join his little romance book club in order to learn what passion is. And they grow actually really close through this. Uh, She diligently is actually, adorably diligently taking notes about what it is. Like she's done throughout when Barbara's been talking about what Batgirl is. And just like the way her eyes glow when she's learning, it's so sweet. Uh, they eventually opens up to him a bit more, takes him to like her favorite spot, which is actually the roof of the library, and they share a cute little kiss, which is it's, it's a kid, sh- it's, it's a little bit of a romance going on, mostly a relationship that I think Cass really needed in other regards because he's a really he's a really good guy and he helps kind of show her that people can change later. But she freaks out when she thinks one of her father's men has found her and mistakenly attacks Eric and breaks his collarbone. Mm, that's extreme. Whoops. And what does Cass do? Runs. And starts to doubt her ability to be able to change into someone who is good instead of who, who she was in the past. She goes to confide in Jackie and Babs, who are eventually attacked in the ramen shop. And we learn that Cass's dad is looking for his best asset totally not Cass she eventually goes to the hospital to apologize to Eric and learns that he actually had the courage to tell his father that he didn't want to pursue being a football star and he actually wanted to be a writer and his dad was actually really supportive of it and brought him books and things so he kind of shows her a way that like you you can change and you don't have to be what other people think you are you just be who you want to be and if you want to be someone who's good then you'll be someone who's good so she goes to confront her father and the assassins in the library and manages to pin her father down knocking out all of his assassins where she could almost she she could kill him and be done with him but instead she spares his life he's arrested and brought to jail and of course barbara decides to be like oh here, this is a present for you. And it's the old Batgirl outfit. And she's like, what? You've been Batgirl the entire time? And she's like, yep. Uh, and we see Cass taking the original Batgirl outfit and making her own as she swings off into Gotham. And it's it's a sweet little story. I am summarizing it too much, but there's a lot of really yeah. great dialogue that is a huge involved. Book. It is, it is a nice Oh my book. gosh. It's probably the longest YA one I have read besides the ones that are based off of the novels, like Lee Bardugo's Wonder Woman, or there's a Batman novel and a Catwoman novel as well. Those, those are pretty long as well because they're adapting a novel, but this is the longest one. Legacy was really quick and short. The Super Sons ones wouldn't even fit in this one, and Ignite and Raven were also... And decent length, but this one was very, very long. Please go read it. It's really sweet. I know I summarized most of it. But would we say that this is a better cast interpretation than the one we're getting in the Birds of Prey movie? Just going off of the cast is in that movie? <laughs> yeah. Yikes! You haven't oh, seen her? Uh, I refuse to acknowledge that movie at this point. <laughs> oh I my just... gosh. I'm so sad that you missed out on that trailer. Where she's bouncing around and screaming. But uh, I would even say this is better than the Rebirth backstory of her because hmm. I feel that they've just... I don't like her as orphan. She's kind of 
pushed to the side too much. Like, Tass needs more of a hug, guys. She needs better support, and she's not getting it. She had it much better in the preboot because she actually had a support group. She was a Batgirl. She was actually acknowledged by Bruce. She actually had a really good relationship with Tim. They saw each other as siblings, and we haven't actually seen much of that even in well, Tinian's version of They haven't really had an opportunity either because yeah. Tim's oh, been because... off-world and Cass has been getting all her hugs from Duke and Batman and the Outsiders and is mm-hmm. running around and with I that. I haven't even reading it. So, but aside yeah, from I... Tim's duckkin phase, um, Cass <laughs> has been killing it in the outsiders batman and the outsiders cast is on brand it's a kelly puckett cast it's good and so i think this cast if she was with tim they'd be besties it'd work out because she is like super empathetic and whatever like space happened between the end of the batgirl run and the beginning of batman and the outsiders and i guess some of detective comics where she appeared like I just missed out on all of that, but I hear people complaining about it constantly. Mm -hmm. I read, I probably read a lot of Tinian's Detective, and I don't think it was he did injustice to Cass. I just don't think he knew really what to do with her. I'm very happy he did include her in a lot of stuff, but her little relationship with uh, Clayface was actually kind of sweet. She was friends with him. She helped him practice his lines. And then, of course, when he got killed, she stopped trusting Batwoman a lot because she was the one who did it, and she told her not to. And she wanted to try to Clayface in Detective Comics. She didn't actually. He was gone for a while and thought dead. Um, and it it definitely brought back a lot of Cass's trust issues because the one person she actually trusted was gone. Wait, and this is Tomasi, or was that this is Tinian? Oh, Tinian. No, it was the end of his run. There was another guy who was doing some of Detective Comics, and I cannot remember his name. Oh, it was Brian Hitch. <laughs> the guy who's doing uh, Batman the Outsiders. So that's why he was on Brian. I was like, there was one guy who was doing some Detective Comics, and it was good cast. Oh, it's the guy who's doing good cast now. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. But yeah, I don't. I'm very picky about cast, but fortunately, I haven't had to suffer through a lot of bad writers. I'm like, Batman? Go read it. I will read Shadow of the Batgirl. Sounds good. So now we're going to move on to our segment where we're going to cover any news that's coming out of Marvel or DC. So whether it's comics, movies, TV shows. So for DC, we have the new Deceased Unkillables number one coming out in February. This is going to be the whole Deceased story, but from the point of view of the villains, of what they were doing when the heroes were trying to find this cure. And when I saw this article, the first quote that they had was, this brutal, insane, brilliant, epic story tears your heart out in the absolute best way. I love it. Tom King. Of course you do, you heartless bastard. What? I love it. It tears your heart out. (laughs) If I had one, I'm sure it would tear mine out too. I used three adjectives for a story that were practically I was just shocked that he said that whole thing. Maybe they didn't want to add all the ellipses that were in his original statement. but So that's coming out (laughs) in February. Um, The Flash 750, which comes out March 4th. And they did release a couple variants already. 
Uh, three of the variants are from Nicholas Scott, Jim Lee, Scott Williams, and Alex Sinclair, and Francis Manipal, which, as I said in the beginning, and as you guys both know, he is my yeah. favorite artist. So I'm really excited. You also have the Robin 80th yes. anniversary, which comes out March 11th, with stories by Marv Wolfman, Chuck Dixon, Tomasi, a couple others. And they also have some variants by Jim Lee, Dustin Wen, Frank Miller, and Yasmin oh, Poutry. fantastic. Well, and it's kind of funny in a way, too, about how, you know, you had Wonder Woman 750 this year, Flash 750 this year, Robin's 80th this year. Like, just all in the span of, like, a couple, like, weeks yeah, from each other. I am super pumped. I know Vieira and I said for Detective Comics that we hoped that Chuck Dixon would come back and write something because he was a well-known Batman writer. And we're getting it for Robin because he wrote most of the 80s solo Tim runs. So I'm really hoping he comes back with that. And part mm-hmm. of me also really hopes... I'm going to cry if they do this because we lost... Uh, in the fall, a artist, um, an older artist, we had we lost Tom Lyle, and I actually got to meet him at Heroes Con this past summer, and he had a deep love of Tim Drake, and he drew the art for the three miniseries that Robin got before his solo run that I cannot remember the artist who actually took over. He was originally going to do it, but due to conflicting issues, he couldn't continue on. I talked to him at length about Tim, and he signed the issues that he worked on, small ones that I had, and I collected a lot at Rose City and was hoping to get him to sign it, but he passed away a couple months later due to health complications, and I was not okay at that point because he was still teaching in Savannah Art College and a lot of his students missed him and a lot of people were like I can't believe this just happened so I kind of hope that he wasn't Stanley but he was well known when I came to Robin and I hope that they do give him a little bit of love in that so just just something small just like a tribute somewhere covers or something like that yeah something like that especially since he worked alongside Chuck Dixon with those miniseries and i have a feeling if since chuck dixon came back i'm like please write me some tim like some type of reference either that or write write me a tim one he might also write something with dick grayson because he wrote nightwing at the same time so i don't know or even just like a little in memoriam blurb would be cute especially with chuck dixon or even best of both worlds and you get a you get a nightwing and tim team up like you did in the 90s a couple also looking at i was like tomasi's totally writing something for (laughs) damien oh yeah oh i cannot wait for that one i'm excited and there's a tim cover too because we all have our favorite robins yes we do Mm -hmm. i really wish that frank miller could write what he wanted to about Batman going <laughs> to the commissioner. He's like, I don't know, Commish. This seems like a This five is going to cost jump. me like six or seven Robins. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Just constantly parked outside of an orphanage <laughs> to pick up new Robins. What's this week's crop look like? Or like even just a spoof of Beauty and the Beast that moment when she comes in and goes, <laughs> You took that one already. Oh, but it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything new? <laughs> Not since yesterday, Batman. <laughs> Horrifying. Now I want to draw it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Muse is not amused. But yeah, so that's what I have for comic news. So, Muse, what do you have for Marvel? So, for. Marvel, some of you probably, if you are keeping up with Marvel 
news starting in April is going to be a huge crossover event called Empire that's going to span across most of the Marvel Universe from the Avengers to the Fantastic Four and X-Men. Empire is going to be a short series of only six issues, but there are going to be a lot of spinoff stuff because Marvel likes to throw you a bunch of spinoff things that are nice, but they're not necessary to understand. So you're going to have Empire Avengers. You're going to have Fantastic Four, as I mentioned. You're also going to have Spider-Man as well. You're also going to have Lords of Empire, Emperor Hulkling, my boy my teddy and because there's gonna be so much and probably a lot of names there's also gonna be a handbook that's gonna help you keep up with oh. stuff i think it's mostly oh going to be gosh. the generals like the the scroll and the kree generals that are going to take part in this so you can at least keep it all together instead of going in mm. blind and massively confused x-men 10 and fantastic 421 are also going to involve the events that are going on with empire but not necessarily be purely empire as well and I'm pretty certain it's either into February or in March we have the outlawed storyline that's going to follow mostly within the the champions series and also branch out to Miles Morales Spider-Man 17 and Magnificent Miss Marvel 14 power pack as well and new warriors because as hinted in incoming volume there's a senator that is very unhappy with a bunch of underage kids running around being superheroes so they're starting to be outlawed and the teenagers don't care they're going to continue to be superheroes those are some of the big events that are happening towards the beginning of this year the end thing which we've already mentioned before is currently coming to a head at this point and to finish wrapping up this episode v could you please read out next week's dc oh, comic sure course as you know i will keep up with uh black cat number nine and that is it uh for the marvel but for <laughs> dc unfortunately i have more to do uh batman 88 listen it's old habits die hard now when i see batman i just like kind of cringe a little bit like oh, i have to do this this is my <laughs> job now yeah it's gonna be fine y'all keep telling me it's gonna pull through um the black label's putting out too they're putting out daphne Byrne. Which I still haven't read. It seems interesting sometimes, and then other times I'm like, Ugh, it's the Hill Comics thing. They're very strange. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, Joker, Harley, Criminal Sanity, number three is coming out. Um, heard mixed reviews on that one as well. Well, it's a very, very, like, AU type of story because it's nothing to do with how you know the Joker and how you yeah, know Harley. It's a completely different take. What do you call it? Other Worlds? Elseworlds. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. DC Crimes of Passion, number one, which is an 80-page giant, is coming out. It's going to have stories by Cena Grace, Steve Orlando, James Tinian, and more. The cover is by Yasmin Putri. That's the one with the cover that you love so much that had Batman seeing Nightwing and Catwoman hugging each other. <laughs> oh, on those the cover. kinds of crimes of passion. I actually hate those kinds of crimes. <laughs> oh, did you mean cheating? Is that the crime? Is it cheating <laughs> with your husband's ward? Oh, no, it's it's clickbait. You know how these comics be. And I'm hoping it's Always clickbait. Um, but yeah, 
I'm looking forward to reading some more Steve Orlando because I haven't been reading Martian Manhunter, but I love that guy's weird, weird voice. And of course, I have to get it just for the Asmund Futriev cover. And then Justice League number 40 is coming out, written by Hawkman writer Robert Venditti. And the art is from Doug Mankey uh, and Jamie Mendoza. Then, of course, we have Greg Ruka's Lois Lane number 8, which I have given up on. But you don't have to. I gave up on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just looking at some old stuff, and I was like, "Oh yeah, he he wrote that scene where um, Superboy is taking a shower, and his mom walks in on him." I forgot and... about that until just now. <laughs> Everyone who read what? it was like, "Um, Greg, let's talk," because that wasn't even pertinent to the story. There was no reason for you to have that scene, but you just felt like it. You're like, oh, your son came home. He's a grown-up now. First thing mom's gonna do is walk in on him taking a shower. It was weird. But choices As were made. As if she couldn't hear the shower choices running. Choices were made, Ruka. We will not forget. Oh, wait, she thought it was Clark. <gasps> That's right. That made it so oh, much worse. Oh, was it like young John or was it like teenage John? No, this John? is this is teenage, teenage John. John. Oh, that's even worse because if it's like little like ten year old John, it's like oh hey honey, it's like mom, and it's like I'm just grabbing something like no, just, he just like, the, like the mom doesn't care, but when it's like your seventeen no. year old son. Well, she heard the shower running and she didn't like, know that, that John was still there, me? and she ran. <laughs> Because, you know, that's how, yeah, that's how she has yep, Superman now. She doesn't now. want him around all the time because he hogs the sheets. That's the real issue in their marriage is either there's something he's doing in his sleep because there's no other reason why she would leave him but still have him over every night. So it's got to be he's Super snoring, snores. he's stealing the sheets, or he's just like punching her in his sleep because like, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, Ant-Man? Is this Hank Pym? That super strength can cause problems if you're not careful. I'm just saying. Maybe he's accidentally lasering the the ceiling and it's falling on her. Snoring. He just super snores. (laughs) Please super snores. Regular snores for a regular man. Um, Yes. So, yeah, I don't like Greg Ruka's interpretation of Lois Lane. We all had high hopes. They were too high. Um, And it's not because she walked in on her son in the shower. It's because she's always distracted from everything and she's just a weirdo okay sorry grant you don't like jimmy olsen's solo run i don't like lois lane's solo run i don't like either oh well there you go well you don't know you also don't like superman or action comics right now <laughs> you're right and it really sucks because i love all I of those characters <laughs> But they're a part of Bendis's. I think he called them the Metropolis Society or something like that. That's what he calls his group of oh, writers. Dear. Because it's him, Greg Rucka, Matt Faction, and Jody Hauser. Because she's writing Supergirl. Oh. So the, the four of them meet up and talk about everything that happens with the Supers and everybody involved in them. What do we call the group of criminals writing DC's Gotham right now? Or am I not allowed to say that because y'all love hmm. Tomasi Tinian so much? <laughs> like, you can... Okay, I love Tomasi, but... I love Tomasi when he's in Metropolis. Exactly. Can he, come, can he go home? Can go home? Get out of my Gotham. Because he clearly can only write one character. Well, that's not true. He's He wrote... Um... Super Sons was good. Super Sons was good. Dude, Super Sons was the best. 
That was good. Unironically, I loved that series. I like his interpretation of Damien. I mean, except for, like, that one first one where they were like, you are our super sons. And I think, like, John kills a cat and Damien, like, kidnaps him and tries to torture him and then Superman threatens to murder a child. That was a weird one and I didn't understand (laughs) it. But after that, it was great. (laughs) That Superman issue. Okay, that was a fun cover, though, because you had Bruce just bat glaring at Clark. Clark's just like, that was a good cover. Uh huh. Keep glaring. And John's just like, I'm happy. And Jamie's like, you look like an uncomfortably ruffled cat just staring at John. You're like, this is hilarious. I'm going to say that they would have had that cover no matter what was on the inside. But. Also, he didn't kill a cat. He burned down a Christmas tree. He killed a cat. He he killed, killed a, a cat, cat earlier in Tomasi's run. It's dead. Yeah, they killed a they killed a cat. That was like early on in Tomasi's run. It was run the of first Superman. one, and I yeah. And yeah. After that, it got. And good. Lois knew, but she didn't say anything. Yeah, he was like all guilty about it. Oh sure, she knows that, and she doesn't say anything. But she knows Clark's secret <laughs> and tells it to Jimmy right away. <laughs> And also tells it to her dad and probably told it to a whole bunch oh, of other right. people. Yeah, I'm still mad Shamed about her that. She on Tumblr and, and someone was like, excuse me, what? I'm going to need you to elaborate. And I was like, yeah, where was that? That was in like Heroes oh in gosh. Crisis, right? Why didn't you pass me the phone? <laughs> Let me talk to them. I have some words. Oh, <laughs> I, I love how every time we talk, it turns into a Bendis rant. Or Tom King. It's one into two. Oh, that was a Tom King problem. Tom King You're right. Gone. Tom King mm-hmm. is gone. But can Marvel. I also just say about Jimmy Olsen, the Matt faction? I saw a post today about Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number five, and it sounds like to me that Matt faction just browses Tumblr and then just picks a couple posts here and there and turns them into comics. There's one that he wrote about Alfred actually paying people at Wayne Enterprises to laugh at Bruce Wayne's jokes. Oh, no. And Bruce was in a toilet stall in the men's bathroom overhearing this conversation. Oh, so he's treating like an SNL skit. And he confronts Alfred about it when he's at the Batcave. He's like, how much money did you give people to laugh at my jokes? And then Alfred lists off an exact number. And he's like, but how did you know about that? He's like, because I'm an amazing detective, Alfred. You know this. Amazing detective. Like, he put that on his <sighs> Jimmy Olsen Like, I could see that on a Tumblr post. Yeah, oh, issue five. my gosh. This man. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's basically, he's just stealing SNL skits. That's, that's the Matt the Radar technician skit. Like, again, like, I don't know what the classic Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen title used to be in, like, the Silver Age and stuff like that. But if he's really going for that, it's just a mixed match of just random mini stories that have nothing to do with each other. It was. I read some of them, okay? I didn't read all of them because it was a really long run. But Jimmy Olsen was fun. And I definitely encourage anyone who is interested in Jimmy Olsen to read the originals because they are funny. They're definitely dated now because, you know, I'm Jimmy Olsen. It's just very um, old school Archie humor where he just like does his own thing. It's very campy, but it's very heartfelt and it's very sweet and it's very cute. And he has little adventures by himself. He's a brave kid. He's sometimes silly. Sometimes he cross dresses to get a good story. Sometimes he goes to other dimensions because he can't stop pushing buttons. He's a loony But tune. he's a good kid. 
and he saved a princess, and he became a king of some random world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we've tangented a lot off of that. Marvel Comics will go over really quickly. We got Ant-Man's getting number one. I don't know which Ant-Man it is. Your Black Cat numbers nine. And the Marauders number seven. Marvel's Avengers Hulk number one, which is part of the gameverse. Savage Avengers number zero. Strike Force six. Swordmaster number eight. And X-Men Fantastic Four number one, which is actually going to be a mini series. I think it's four issues. And it's dealing with the aftermath of the whole Krakoa thing and the awkward confrontation Scott had with mostly the Invisible Woman about pretty much hinting he's going to kidnap their son because he's an Omega-level mutant. And I'm like, Franklin, honey. Uh, isn't but I don't Franklin think getting I, kidnapped? Isn't like I, don't, I don't think he's going to join the mutants based off of just the fact that he loves his family. And uh, he's also on the cover of Fantastic Four 21, which is going to be coming out in <laughs> April. So whoops, spoilers <laughs> on that one. But just oh seeing gosh. that struggle between him picking family over his mutant heritage, especially with all the mutants drinking the Krakoa Kool-Aid right now, they teed this up in X-Men issue one and in Incoming as well. So that one I'm actually really looking forward to. And I hope to cover that one. I'm just looking forward to it because it gives me another Marvel title to try mm. out. But that will be it for this episode of our podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Court of Outlets. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Court of Outlets. Let us know which comic you want us to cover next week. And you can be the first of your friends to hear The Court of Outlets by subscribing to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcasts.